Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenman and Mulner podcast here on Newcastle Fans TV. We have just interviewed a journalist who has... Well, journalist, seen... writer, screenplay writer, author, everything. Just a, a literary genius. He, he very much is is Michael Chaplin. I was just going to say, a journalist that has had his heart stolen. And I think it's um, appropriate with the title that he's put for a new book, which we thoroughly recommend you to buy, which is Newcastle United Stole My Heart, 60 Years in Black and White by Michael Chaplin. Um, 11 games, which he mentions as, if you are a YouTube member and and you're watching this as a YouTube member, you'll see that Sam has held the book up appropriately but if you're yeah, listening fantastic visual for there for what is essentially an audio podcast if you let me finish but if you're listening uh, <laughs> to this to this introduction of the podcast it is a fantastic read sam's yeah. on a chapter four yeah so far and the the, the the actual introduction of this book makes you feel quite sad but when you Read the book further on and talk and, and listen. I was going to say, listen there if you've got an audio book, but when you read some of the memories and some of the anecdotes that mm. Michael talks about are so fascinating. Well, like everything with Newcastle United these days, everything's tinged with a bit of melancholy, isn't it? But um, it, this book is far from melancholic, it, it's absolutely um, enlightening and, and, and enriching. It's, I mean, I only got it yesterday, and as you say, I'm on Chapter 4 already, so it's, it's, I cannot recommend it enough. The link will be in the description um, if you want to, to purchase your own, which I very much urge you to do. Um, brilliant, and it's brilliant to... Um, it, was a great, it was a great conversation we've just had with Michael, so you're in for a treat. It was, it was really... I said to you after we'd finished, it was, it was really easy. It was a really easy discussion that we, that we had with him, wasn't it? It really was, and you could see the um, the emotion of how painful it was to get rid of his season ticket. And one of the lines is, "How did the love of my how did the love how did my love of my club begin? And how, despite living away from Tyneside, had it been sustained? And even with all the ups and downs of Newcastle United, there was a breaking point, and that mm. breaking that breaking point." was in 2019 when just the day before Miguel Miron was signed, Michael decided along with his friends that they would give up their season ticket. And from then on, the book was born. And I, I found it very fascinating talking to Michael and you could tell it was something that he really thought about and put a lot of time and effort into his work, into his work over a hundred thousand words. It, it's, it's an incredible read and some, some fantastic memories and, there's all sorts in regards to this book, um, Sam. You know, the, the expectation, the preparation of going to a game, the, everything surrounding the actual match. It, there was a little bit of everything. Do you know what? And I didn't want to say this to Michael, so I'm going to say it to you now, that it's like a literary vlog. It is, yeah. Like how we do our away day vlogs. It's about. It's not just about the match. It's about the day. It's about your experience. It's about things that are going on in your life at that time. And it it, it kind of evokes your own sort of memories and your own comparisons of of either that day or when you've been in a similar similar situation. And it is kind of like a liter eleven kind of literary vlogs 
that, um, as I say, evoke so much um, emotion and um, feeling as a as a mosquito flies across me. That was uh, eventful, but yeah, um, it, it really is. It really is fantastic. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a hardcore reader. My wife is, um, but this book, along with um, Paul Ferris's um, Boy in the Shed, are just two ones that I, I can't put down. Like, in no way, shape, or form would I just read four chapters in a day about nothing else. So it, it, it's got to be good. And um, I can't wait to to, to razz right through it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I don't think Michael Chapman's ever been to a zoo before going to see a Newcastle match, as a certain member of Newcastle Fans TV did. <laughs> well, that was the day before, in fairness to Lee. And it wasn't a zoo, it was a safari park. Oh, hello. <laughs> um, if you would like a copy of this fantastic book, it is available on Newcastle Fan TV's Amazon page, where it is, I think there's a special offer at the minute in regards to this book, but it is available in all bookstores and actually Michael does give a mention I think to Hearst uh, mm. yeah it was Hearst wasn't it in terms of the um, book uh, bookshop as well which so it's, it's available all over the country as well so um, we, there's so many different places where you can get this book we thoroughly recommend you you purchase it but I think without further ado we should get this podcast up and up and running and that is the Green and Mullen show with Michael Chaplin Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenman and Mulner show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today we're joined by a man who has written a fantastic book. It's Newcastle United, Still My Heart, 60 Years in Black and White. It is with Michael Chapman. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, thanks for inviting me on. Michael, I think the first question's got to be, why did you want to write about Newcastle United and where did the whole idea of this book come across or come about really? Well, I've been a, va- a fan of Newcastle uh, for a very long time. I went to my first game in 1963, um, and I've been a fan ever since. Um, I mean, I lived in London. I grew up in Newcastle, uh, went to work at university, came back to work on the journal uh, newspaper, and then I went to London uh, in the in the late 70s. And I lived away from Newcastle um, until 2006 when I returned, and I've had a season ticket ever since then. But what actually happened is that myself and my friend we'd sat together for years and years and years um and at the end of the 2018 season we decided not to renew our season tickets for reasons that will be pretty standard pretty familiar to many people out there um and um uh you know it was quite a traumatic thing i mean it was it it was a if you like it was a positive uh, yet negative decision um you know, it was kind of sad to walk away, um, even though we thought it was the right thing to do. Um, but I began to reflect on all the years that I'd been a supporter. Um, and I was sort of began to think about how and why I first became a supporter in the first place. Um, and the first game that I went in. So because I'm a writer, I, I, I've earned my living as a writer for a long time. I thought about... Um, I thought the possibility of uh, doing some meaningful writing about it. So I began to research that first game, which was on March the 1st, uh, 63. Um, And I was thinking about the players. I mean, I looked them up, of course. I could remember some, 
but I looked up one or two others. Um, and, and I kind of thought, well, who was – we won 5-2, by the way, again, <laughs> uh, which was a good start. Maybe I wouldn't have become a fan if we'd lost that first game, but we did. And it was a really brilliant game because, you know, I was so full of excitement. I'd been wanting to go to the uh, games for years and years, but nobody in my family would take me. Nobody was, was interested in, in sport of any kind. And then uh, my sister did a brilliant thing. She married someone who was a sports fanatic. And um, he said, how would you fancy going to the game on Wednesday? And, of course, I couldn't quite believe it. Well, anyway, we went. Um, that was my later brother-in-law, David. Uh, and, and so we went to this game. It was at the end of an enormously long winter, which is why we were still playing league games at the beginning of May. And, uh, you know, I was just completely swept away by the atmosphere. Uh, I, sat, I was standing on the uh, popular side, quite close to the pitch, the noise, the chants, just the excitement of it all, and the visual spectacle, you know, with the headlights coming on. Um, and uh, after 18 minutes, we were two down. Uh, so that wasn't a great start, but um, we turned it around, and we turned it around principally because of a brilliant uh, midfield player called Alan Suddick. So he was my man of that match. And then I thought, well, maybe I, I wrote it up in a rough form, my memories and, you know, what I discovered about that game. And I thought, well, this is this could be quite a nice format for a, for a book about my own, um, you know, period as a fan. So um, I, I kept going. And I suppose because it very rapidly became the pandemic, I had plenty of time to do it. I mean, I had one or two other things on, but so it became my focus. Um, and then the pandemic hit and, um, you know, I had to interview people uh, on platforms like this and on the telephone. But I just kept going and eventually uh, it just grew and developed. Um, and, um, yeah, so that's how it began. And, and the, the, the decision to review it all and try to work out why and how I became a fan was because of giving up the season ticket and my disenchantment with the current um, regime so that's the story i think it's quite apt because we're recording this on the evening of deadline day uh, <laughs> and in the and in the forward of the book you mentioned that it was it was the day before deadline day the day before we signed miggy Almiron, which is when you did make that decision to yeah. chuck yeah. it in and say that that was that what yeah. was the the straw that broke the camel's back as it were for you um well there, there wasn't anything in particular um, because obviously, you know, we'd had Mike Ashley as the owner since whatever it was, 2007, 2008. Um, but I, I suppose, um, you know, my friend and I were great Benitez supporters. Um, you know, he came in, uh, he couldn't keep us up, but brought us back within a season and um, and then kept us in the Premier League for another two seasons with a really pretty minimal investment in the team. And, you know, we were able to observe how brilliant he was on the on the touchline because we we could we were in the in the, in the Gallagher corner. Um, we could see him on his feet, pointing, uh, you know, gesticulating and constantly sort of talking to his players 
during the game and at halftime and full time. And you could just tell this was a man of supreme competence at his job. And and after all, when you consider all the pl club brilliant clubs that he's he'd managed, um, he he was clearly a great person. Um, and that we had faith in him for the future. And then, of course, they just allowed him to go because uh, he um, he said, "Well, I'll stay if if we can have a real go," you know, which was the equivalent of "Let me have some money to spend," and that that wasn't available. Uh, so so he went, and and we decided to go with him effectively. So I think that was the main reason. I was just about to tell Sam just before you came on to. To the stream that we're recording this interview on michael that on saturday as obviously we're recording to this evening that on saturday when we played southampton was the first time i actually didn't enjoy the whole experience mm. of watching newcastle united mm. mainly because i felt so disattached to or detached to the to the club to the owner to the manager to the players yeah so it was just it was a very strange feeling and I, I remember leaving I remember Newcastle going two and up and not really feeling like I was part of that victory I played my part like every other fan did mm. and I felt really really sad after the game I really did and um, I suppose when you when you when you just talked about with Sam there it justifies your decision because two and a half years on from that decision Newcastle are in a worse state than they have ever been under this tenure of Mike Ashley yes no I would absolutely agree with that I mean, to be honest, in that season, 2018, uh, there were a few games that I, I missed because I kind of, despite my appreciation for Benitez, you know, all those games were full of tension and dread almost uh, about what was going to happen. And, and, and sometimes they turned out and some, sometimes often, especially before Christmas, uh, they didn't. Um, and, and that, that's reminiscent of the situation now. Um, uh, but, you know, there were some games, and I, I've written about one in particular, which is the last chapter of the book, which was the home game against Everton. Uh, and obviously, many people remember we were 2-0 down, slightly unfortunately at half time. But we just came out and it was just, just the most thrilling uh, second half I'd seen in a long time. And then the brilliance of uh, all, the, all the goals were at our end of the ground. So that's another added bonus. We had a, we had a ringside seat, as it were. Um, and uh, he was this young uh, guy, uh, Perez, who I'd admired uh, from the moment, really, he started playing for the first team. Um, I know it, uh, that that wasn't a universally held opinion. Because uh, there was a guy behind, sitting behind me who was always on Perez's case, uh, you know, moaning about how he was always falling over and uh, what was he really there for. And, um, and I, he and I used to have, you know, fairly friendly arguments about this. Um, and I would say, well, hang on a minute. He's been top scorer for the last two seasons, so he can't be that bad. Um, uh, so... Uh, and, and I remember there's a wonderful picture in the book, actually, of the af aftermath of the winning goal where Perez runs towards the corner, which was right near where my friend and I sat. And, and, and he didn't stick his fingers in his ear because it was just such a ecstatic, um, really wonderful moment 
for the team and the crowd to be together in that corner. And, and one of the reasons why I, I took this, uh, uh, used this photograph, which uh, was taken by a press photographer called Richard Lee. He was at the far end and he captured the scene on his long lens from the other end of the pitch. Uh, and, it, and it shows Perez sort of running towards the corner flag. Uh, Almiron is coming that direction. All the other players are coming this direction. And, and uh, uh, Perez is looking behind him and both his feet are off the ground. So it kind of looks as if he's levitating or something. Um, but behind him, there's all these um, hundreds of fans, you know, in various degrees of ecstasy. Um, and it, it's, it's just the most heartwarming and brilliant uh, photograph. Um, anyway, that was, that was one game I really did enjoy. But I had a feeling, uh, I think most people kind of knew before the end of that season when, that Benitez was going to leave. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we all wondered who would replace him. Um, uh, but whoever it was going to be, it was likely that it, it, he wasn't going to be in the same league as, as, as Rafa. Um, so, so we made that decision. Um, um, and not really because so much the, the dread about who the new manager would be, but just a feeling that basically we had enough. Um, and there was only one way to show our feelings about that situation, and that was to withhold our our money um, and our, withhold our custom. So, so yeah, that's that's the that's the background to that. Oh, Perez was one that because I, I agree with you, Michael. I always liked his that you always got a shift out of him, and he was really hard working. And he was one that I thought, well, he's he's never going to leave. He'll be here for. It'll be here forever, sort of thing. There's no one that's going to come in and pay thirty million pounds. But um, lo and behold, Newcastle yeah. United are just a stepping stone these days, aren't they? And it, it's yeah. it, it's yeah. tinged with sadness. But what I do love about the book is that um, it's so beautifully written that it evokes memories, and um, you kind of compare your own experiences to to your so you mentioned your your first game i'm currently on the chapter where you've taken your children to their first game which i haven't done yet i'm, yeah. I'm mainly because my wife's not allowing me to just <laughs> my son's my son's only four all oh, right um, young. yeah yeah so i think he might get a bit bored and uh, i don't yeah it's it's it, i lost that argument quite um quickly but um it, it's it's just so it just encapsulates because Johnny you're still because you're a bit younger than me because I remember one chapter in particular you were always waiting for to be published or or a fanzine to be published so you can get the match report and I it evoked a memory of me when I was on holiday in France and you're you don't get the English newspapers. Yeah. from the Sunday until like the Monday or the Tuesday. So I had to wait yeah. two days to discover we'd lost one nil at home to Tottenham. It was, it, it was, it, it, it just, yeah, it's, it's, um, honestly, I've, I've got it copy and I urge every, every listener and viewer to, to grab a copy themselves. But I suppose it's a long winded question, but was it a labor of love and quite an easy thing to write about comparing to your other writing exploits like Monica the Glen, for instance? Yeah, well, I've written a lot for, for television and, and uh, I've written a lot of plays for radio and, and, and for the theatre. 
Uh, but of course, this is a much bigger project. You know, it's a hundred thousand words. So, uh, and 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 it, it's not a novel. So, in other words, you can't make it all up. Um, it's it's a it's a factual story. Um, so there's a lot of research, and um, also the other element to the story is um, that I, I've devised these eleven iconic games, and in each game I name a man of the match. So uh, I made very great efforts to to talk to people who were either the player of that game or other players who played in that game. Um, so all that needed a fair bit of research. You need to contact them and. Um, Ask them to be on, and then and all of that. Um, I think, in terms of the motivation, uh, you know, I was really up for it because this is really important to me. I mean, I know it's only football; um, it's it's not a matter of life and death. It's more important than that, you know. That whole <laughs> but but I really do care, and I suppose the other thing is that it's a way of connecting with my past, starting off with my childhood and how I became a fan in the very first place in the first place um and and so it's it's been an exercise in in going digging into my memory uh, and i always thought actually that i had a pretty lousy memory but i discovered doing this that once i remembered one little detail of a game very often more details would 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 come to me and i was gradually able to build up more and more of a picture um so um so yeah but i was completely determined and you know, I've been a professional writer, and I, I know you just have to keep going, even if you hit um, uh, a slow patch. Um, you just got to keep going. But in the end, it was something that I felt very um, passionate about. Uh, and in the old football phrase, I didn't want to leave anything in the dressing room. Um, uh, and, and, and so that's how it was. The other thing that's related to this is that um, when I started doing it, you know, friends, people I know, you know, they're always asking, oh, what are you working on? And when when I told them, quite a number of them said, oh, God, that must be a painful task. You know, what a miserable way of spending your time. Because it's all you know, total bollocks over the years. And actually, it hasn't. It absolutely hasn't. Okay, the big cliche, we've only won one thing in my sort of period as a, as a fan. Um, but... Despite that, uh, and despite the apparent fact that, or, or, or belief that it that it's all been crap, it really hasn't. And and the more I went through the book, the more I, I became certain of that fact that um, you know we've been uh, we've been pigeonholed as this basket case of a club, which it has for certain periods of time, and now is obviously one of them. The late seventies was another, but for the rest of that time. We saw wonderful players playing wonderful games in a beautiful stadium. So, um, in that sense, what what more could you ask for, really? Um, so, yeah, that, that that was another motivating factor. I've got to do this um, because I, th I think people will be interested, and I think people will enjoy reading it. And I'm very glad to hear uh, you saying that that you're enjoying it. That's really great. Thank you. One thing I would like to talk about, Michael. Everyone obviously wants to talk about the actual match and the game itself. Obviously, you've mentioned there's so many games that you've mentioned in the book. But what I think is quite important is that you're capturing the actual day experience of mm. going to the match. 
and how everybody has their own ritual. You have your own rituals yourself and just little things like saying, I think I, I believe you said this to you, uh, your mother said this to you, are you going to pray today? Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. just little things like that. Like because me and my mum, my mum supports a different football team and was th- which is at Newcastle United and I'll just leave it at that. Yes. Um, and she always says, good luck. And I, yeah. always say the sa- I always say the same thing. Just little yeah, things yeah. like that. And you go, everyone goes to this, a different pub or the same pub. Or, you know, I, I just, I remember when I used to, I used to sit in level seven at, at the top. Oh, right. At the top of the stairs, I always felt like it was the, yeah. the door. The, the, the door was, yeah, exactly. And I always feel like when you get to the top step, there was like a little bit of, um, it was like a, almost like a roof. And I always used to tap my hand on it. Just little oh, yeah. things like that. I just tap for yeah, good yeah. luck. I, was, I yeah. always felt like I was opening the doors to heaven almost to try to get, I've got all the way to the top yeah, um, yeah. but I, I I just like the fact that it's just it's more than a football match it's yeah. the little things and I think you I think you can capture that in a book and I, I believe Michael you were trying to get that out by yeah. explaining how what your rituals were yes yeah no absolutely I mean the thing with my mum you see there was nobody in my uh, family apart from my grandfather uh, her father who came to live with us when I was about eight or nine but every he, he was interested in football he was interested in other sport but nobody else had it. my dad completely you know he hated sport and, and my brother also my older brother Chris he didn't have much time for it because uh, I was constantly asking the two of them you know when I was eight or nine or ten oh please take me to the match and they they couldn't be doing with it so my grandfather came along came to live with us because he's his, uh, his wife, my, my nana, passed away. He, he was a retired pitman. He'd lost his left arm in the pit. Um, but he came to live with us. He, he, he sort of lived most of his life in the kitchen. And uh, he and I used to talk football in there. And he, he, um, he, I think in a way he kind of influenced the kind of footballers that, that I grew up to love because he talked about um, two players that he'd seen something of in the 30s and the 40s. They played for Sunderland and um, uh, and Middlesbrough, um, and uh, uh, one was Rach Carter. I can't remember the name of the other one now, but but they, you know, they were midfield diamonds, really, a uh, bit like Perez. Um, uh, so um, so the, he was an influence. Um, but then the the quote about my mother, um, we all know the. This is quite odd, really because we all know the quote of Bobby Robson's about St. James's Park, that it's Cathedral on the Hill. Um, but, uh, but my mother got into the habit of, of calling the experience go, going to pray quite early on, you know, because I think she got it really, that it was kind of like a, a very intense experience, almost like an evangelical person going to church or something. But it became a sort of standing joke. Um, um, but as far as the actually going to the match there is obviously the build-up which can encompass um you know a drink or two beforehand meeting your friends um and and the sense of it being um you know kind of thing that makes a friendship grow because you share these experiences whether they're great experiences or not so great experiences um and you have things like um we once my son and I and a friend went to Stoke one evening in 1995, I think, to play, play in the League Cup. And um, it was the Keegan team, of course. And uh, we absolutely stuffed them 4-0. Um, 
Um, and then we, we came, came out. There was quite a small number of Newcastle fans, but we were all in a group. And, and we, were, we were rushed by <laughs> this group of hooligans who, who chased us through the streets of Stoke at night. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, my son's friend, who was a student there, he didn't live very far away. So, so we literally got inside his flat moments before this mob started kicking the door. <laughs> and, and so this was a, a kind of thing that bound my, my two sons and I, the whole, ex because they were quite young then, the whole experience of going to a football. It wasn't just the game, but the build-up, the drive to the away game, the, the, the chit-chat through the game, and then sometimes slightly hair-raising experiences. These are all sort of bonding experiences, aren't they, that you can reminisce about in years to come. Do you remember when such and such? Um, there's another story later in the book about the time when Dalgleish was manager. We we drew Monaco in the in the in the cup, um, and uh, so a group of us decided to go to Monaco. Um, and, and the fact that we were stuffed completely uh, by Monaco and a, a striker that nobody had ever heard of called Thierry Henry um, was was a, was a kind of bad thing, but. We remember the build-up to the experience and the, and the beautiful stadium uh, that Monaco played in. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of very binding thing between family members and fathers and sons, like you were saying. Um, I have to say, the first time I took my youngest son Tom, uh, who became a, a Newcastle fanatic, the first time I. I took him to a football match. He was about four years old. We were, we were sitting down. It was in the stand. And this was a game against Charlton. Um, and it, and it, I, he, he was not clearly not concentrating on the games, on the game. And uh, he, I noticed at one point he was actually looking at the pigeons on the roof of the stand opposite. And suddenly Chris Waddle scored with a completely brilliant uh, header. And, and then everybody erupted because we were all Newcastle in the Newcastle end. And Tom was so terrified, you know, scared of this sudden noise that he burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I had to take great care not to allow him to tell his mom that he'd been frightened to death at the football match. <laughs> <laughs> These are all just sort of memories from long ago, really. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, uh, that Stoke story, I mean, I live about 45 minutes from Stoke, so I know full well what Stoke-on-Trent's like. I mean, you wouldn't go there for a weekend <laughs> city break, that's for sure. But, um, I mean, there's there's 11, 11 games, 11 chapters in the book, um, so it's almost kind of like you're 1 to 11. Is that Was that deliberate? And if yeah. so, yeah. was there some decisions to be made about certain games to leave out? Well, yeah, there was an, an embarrassment of riches, really. Um, uh, and, and But I, I thought, well, first of all, I thought it was a really great idea. Or rather, I shouldn't claim that. But, but I thought it was a, a good structure for the book to limit it to 11 chapters. Because I can't do justice to this vast you know, period of time, 60 years from, from beginning to end. So I thought if I focus on 11 matches, um, you know, that's... That's that's a finite number that people can relate to, and also it does have the benefit of kind of creating a team from uh, from those matches or of the whole period of time. Although various friends of mine have noticed that um, 
there's there's no actual goalkeeper in my 11 players um, <laughs> it's a bit of a giveaway why i'll never be a football manager but but i, I, I if i'd been allowed or if i'd allowed myself five substitutes i obviously would have had a goalkeeper but um but no i think um uh, it it was it was a very difficult choice but i had plenty of time to think about it because there was the pandemic and and i kind of mused on these issues when i was writing one chapter i was kind of thinking about the next one so i you know i kind of more or less as i got to the end of one chapter i kind of knew what the match would be and who the player would be um uh and of course there were there were some periods like the one between when the joe harvey team that got to the fa cup final in 74 uh, that got broken up for all sorts of reasons malcolm mcdonald was sold other players were sold um, and it went through a period of decline, um, so much so that actually I didn't think there was any any games at all to get involved in between 74 and 82, which was the arrival or the first arrival of Kevin Keegan. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that answers some of the part of the question anyway. What is your favourite era of supporting Newcastle United? And... Is there a particular player or a particular manager that really stood out for you and that you have the biggest connection with? Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of games, let's just answer it in one way, because people have asked me, which was your favourite game? Uh, and I have to say it was the first game, um, in a way, because if they hadn't won that game, and won it in the way that they did, you know, two little down, they end up winning five two. It was unbelievably thrilling, uh, and 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 for that to be my first game, and I'd waited all those years to go, you know, I I, th I thought I'd died and gone to heaven at the end of that match, <laughs> and it was floodlit. That was another, you know, when it, when when it's a floodlit match and you can only see the pitch, there's yeah. not all of that other crap in your visual frame. Um, it was just. Bewitching, absolutely bewitching. But uh, it, it won't surprise people to hear that, you know, the, the mid-90s team, the Keegan team, um, was just a sort of magical era. Um, and uh, and after a, the sort of disaster of uh, Dalglish and Hullert, then we got Sir Bobby's team. And, and, and that was a really outstanding team. It didn't quite hit the heights of the Keegan team, but it was truly outstanding. So I would say in that period of 92 to 2004, thereabouts, I remember that being, you know, you went to, to the games expect A, expecting to win, and B, expecting to win well and be entertained um, with great players um, and, and managers that you really, really identified with because those two those two managers quite clearly had a great affection for the club and the supporters and respected the club and its supporters. So um, the only downside about that period was that um, I missed Hawaii Five O. I missed the... No. Uh, I was in London and I was working on a... I was writing a television thing and I was really behindhand uh, with it and I decided not to come... You know, so right. I, I was standing in a pub in Wimbledon 
And uh, on the one hand, I was just delirious with joy. And then the second later, I was thinking, why aren't you there? <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, um, but I, I really enjoyed writing that chapter um, about that period. Um, and, uh, and, and the chapter after actually is, is mostly about Philippe Albert. You know, the, obviously the score of that amazing uh, final goal in that match. And, you know, it was just such a great thrill to speak to him. Um, I kept bringing his number. I'd been given a, a, a number for him uh, in, uh, in Belgium. And um, I kept ringing it, and I'd, I'd more or less given up. And then I ring it once one day, and he answers, "Hello," um, mm-hmm. and and he just bought into it straight away. And you know, he didn't ask me to ring back or anything. He just obviously just sat down. And and um, his the the story he tells of how 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 he first met Keegan, um, and he, he says, you know. Within the first five minutes, I knew I was going to um, play for him because his passion for the club and the way he wanted to play was so evident. Um, that um, and and then in, in the summary, you know, I I think I probably said, well, do you have any regrets, you know, about coming to Newcastle? He said, absolutely not. He said, for for those years, I played for a wonderful manager in a wonderful stadium in a wonderful city. And uh, it was the most, the happiest part time of my life. Um, and he also really got into Viz magazine, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I think it was Steve Watson who gave him, uh, said the six, Sid the Sexist uh, DVD, and uh, he really got off on Sid the Sexist. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. Uh, but what a player, you know. I mean, oh. he had, he was just gorgeous in every respect. Um, yeah, just yeah. I mean, I always remember that performance against Man City. I know we didn't win the game, but it, he played like a number nine that day. Yeah. It was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. If we had, yeah. I mean, because that team is what drove. Because I, like you, Michael, none of my family were into sport or football or anything. Newcastle were just the first team I saw on telly that captured a, a five, mm. six-year-old in the Midlands imagination and thought that'll do for me. I didn't know they were two hundred and twenty mile up the road. <laughs> Well, it, it was ju- it was just that that side, and it's just and the characters involved, like mm. your Kevin Keegan's, and even your Sir John Hall, who who loved a bit of limelight here and there. Mm. It was just it was just that peak time. The only thing missing, of course, was a trophy. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> That's just a minor thing, that isn't it? But uh, um, and it was very very painful, obviously, at the time, and. Um, you know, I, I um, yeah, it, 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 it was hurtful. But actually, looking back on it now, of course, now it's it's the most wonderful season we've had, even though we didn't win it, the damn thing. Um, I mean, such football. I mean, I can remember so many of the games. Um, I was at QPR. We won, we won that game. I was at the game where we thrashed Wimbledon six 0 I think it was. And Philip Albert scored a brilliant goal in that game. Um, so, um, so yeah. Um, good. It's like how you say as well about um, Daglish and Hullet being disasters. I mean, FA Cup finals and beating Barcelona, compared to where we are now, that mm. sounds like a pretty <laughs> damn good disaster. I don't know how yeah. you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfectly true. Um, 
uh, I didn't see the Barcelona game. I was on holiday in France. Uh, you know, there's a curious phenomenon. I don't know if you if you you can relate to this, but but I can remember great games games that I missed for one reason or another. You know, you had you had you had a job interview, or you had to go to someone's wedding or <laughs> funeral, um, and you and you can't go. Um, uh, but hope you know. Fortunately, there weren't too many of those. I mean, there were game, obviously game, living three hundred miles away. Inevitably, there there were games that I missed. But uh, but they, um, uh, you know, it it all balances out in the end. I suppose you talk about eleven games in your book, but would you have liked to like to have written about a game that maybe had a different ending or something different happened in the game? For example, you talk about that ninety five ninety six season in which Newcastle probably should have won the league, they threw it away. Mm. Say, for example, they beat Manchester United at St. James's Park and Peter Schmeichel doesn't have a fantastic performance and Newcastle, say, win 1-0, for mm. example. That would have been enough for Newcastle to overturn the league because yeah. Manchester United would have lost the three points, we would have gained three points. So, I mean, it would have meant Newcastle won the league. Do you, have to, do you, do you ever think, well, it would have been great to have written about that, that much of a special moment or is it because of everything that happened all together in terms of your whole experience, that it was just, it was just meant to be essentially. Well, uh, I mean, it's just it's in the nature of football, isn't it? That, that you know, it's there's there's a, an unpredictable element in 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 football that doesn't confine, con, con, you know, reflect the the game that you saw. I mean, you, Newcastle obviously should have won that game. Schmeichel was brilliant. Um, Certainly, we were brilliant in the first half. We weren't so good in the second half. And and Schmeichel hits that dodgy volley and it eludes all those legs. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's the element of uncertainty in football that is one of the things that makes it so brilliant. Um, it doesn't always conform to logic or form or, or the balance of, of the play. Um, it's the unpredictable element. Um, uh, so, and I think that's one of the beauties of it. If it was more predictable, it wouldn't be half so entertaining or beguiling. You know, people sitting in a pub beforehand reflecting on what's going to happen, and and obviously, of course, nobody really knows uh, which team will turn up on the night, who 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 is on it and who isn't on it in a particular team. Um, um, so, I, I I tend not to do too much. Too much of that. I mean, there's a bit of it when you look back and you think, "Oh, if only that hadn't happened, and if only we'd won won that game and and not lost another." Um, it is in the end, it is what it is, and uh, uh, you just have to accept it. It's it's history. It happened. Um, yeah. One thing I've noticed in the book that in each chapter there seems to be one player that you. It's obviously that you you took a shine to whether it be Suggett, Ben Arthur, loads of I don't want to mention too many because spoiler yeah. alerts and everything. But is there a player in this current team uh, that that you think uh, could be one of them type of players if you were to write a sequel? Yeah, yeah. well, I, I talked about my grandfather earlier on, and, and, and those kind of clever midfield players uh, mm. he liked that I kind of inherited from him. He, he had an interesting term for them. He used to call them Bobby Dazzlers. Now, people yeah. are making this and people say, what, what the hell is a Bobby Dazzler? Well, it's, it's really a person or a thing 
of real quality, um, something that's done with real style. Um, so those are the players that I've always um, related to most. And and I mean a, a contemporary example. He, he's in he's in a misfiring team, but clearly Sam Maxima comes into that category. Um, you know he scored some wonderful goals. Uh, it, it's it's a shame that he's slightly accident uh, prone. Uh, injury prone rather um, and it's also a shame that in there's not to my mind there's not enough players on his wavelength in the team that could bring the best out in him um, I mean there was at the end of last season uh, with a young lad uh, from Arsenal and and uh, um, you know but, but be, besides that it's He's often sort of, um, you know, he's he's kind of on his own a lot. Um, and he likes that. He likes having these runs. But it, it would be nice if someone was a bit more on his wavelength. Um, I think Wilson is to a certain extent. Um, but I think it's the midfield. We've got a real problem, I think, in both midfield and defence. Um, um, and, yeah, I... I, I kind of worry about the future, to be perfectly honest. I'm oh, sure yeah. I, I'm sure that's shared by a lot of fans. Um, yeah. That was my next uh, next question, actually, is what do you think of the future of Newcastle United? You say it's still your heart, that is the title of your book. Yeah. Um, and I think, it's, I guess, even though I've mentioned earlier that I, w- I didn't really enjoy Saturday, the, the whole experience of Saturday, it's still steals my heart in terms of yeah. I'm still yeah. going to go to the next home game against yeah. Leeds United. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that and I, I support that. I mean, people, you know, after I gave up my season ticket, some friends of mine not really understanding football said, well, are you going to support another team now? Oh. Uh, and uh, are you going to support a more successful team? Like, I'm certainly going to become a glory hunter, oh. you know, supporting Man City. Well, I'm obviously not going to do that. And, and, um, uh, and, and the heart of it really is that, you know, I'm a one-club person uh, and that's not going to change. Um, and, and uh, you know, someone said, well, are, are you not in love with them anymore? And and, and that's not true. I, I, there'll be no other team for me and I, I've i been supporting them for so long that I can't imagine g- going for any anyone else. And, and I do believe... Um, in my heart of hearts that I will go back eventually because I do believe that eventually we will uh, find ourselves with a new man uh, with, with a new owner who will hopefully treat the club the city its fans its players and supporters with with rather more respect than than our current uh, owner so I, that's what I like to think anyway that there is a way back for me eventually uh, and hopefully a, a sort of brighter future um yeah so is a takeover the only thing that would drag you back um well i don't think we're suddenly going to become a challenger for the premiership you know it's that's not going to work it's not a viable thing in this current economic model um uh no i don't think so i mean i i i think i think that's our problem essentially um, and the fact that, as you said at the very beginning, you know, here we are at the end of a transfer window, and and and, and nothing has happened really, um, apart from, you know, bringing the Arsenal lad back. 
Um, we we haven't signed anybody on loan. We could have had Sissoko, but apparently they wouldn't pay his uh, his loan fee. Um, and, and other clubs are... I'm not talking about the very top clubs. I'm talking about clubs much lower down. They're sort of buying this player for 30 million and that player for 25 million. Um, so, so, yeah, it's all... Yeah, I, I, I think that's the most likely way that I'm going to return when we have um, a different regime at the club. Um, so, and uh, I'll... Um, I look forward to that day when I, when I walk up um, St Thomas's Street in a long strawberry place and uh, take my place in the Gallagher Corner again. <laughs> I think I think everybody's waiting for that day where it gets better and the ambition of our fantastic football club is yeah. actually recognised. And I think it'll be a fantastic day. It really, really will. But Michael, yeah. just fi- finally for myself. Um, where can people get this book? And can I ask just a personal question? How long did it take you to actually get this book all finished? Like in terms of not in terms of not of the not in terms of the COVID situation, but how long did you think of this idea? When did it all get put together? And are you are you how happy are you with it? Um. Well. Uh, I'll come to where you can get it in a, in a minute because people might like to write it down or, what, or whatever. But uh, so it, it was May 2019 when my last match there. Um, I suppose I spent two or three months sort of I had this vague idea and I started thinking about that. And in the autumn, um, I tracked down uh, the Suddick family. Uh, Alan Suddick died a few years ago. And I went and talked to them and they, you know, this is his uh, widow, Arlene, and his daughter, Keely, um, were just so brilliant in, in, in describing him, but also his, his story of where he came from, you know, and his family roots. His family roots were, 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 they were Pittman, his grandfather and his, his father, but they both played football. And the, and the story of how he joined Newcastle, how he came through the ranks, um, you know, the sorts of, the sort of players player he was, um, his social life, how Newcastle was changing in the sixties, all of that. So I came home and I, I wrote that up, and that was probably in about November two thousand and nineteen. And that's when I thought, hang on a minute, um, you know, I've been doing this for quite a long time. You kind of know whether there's whether there's a story there or there isn't. And I I, I knew then that there was, if I could, you know, just go on with it. So I did go on with it, and and. Um, uh, I found the publisher, or they found me last summer. That's Hearst Books, and and they then offered me a contract. They read the first four chapters, I think. They asked me to finish it, and uh, and so I did. And I I delivered the first draft. I suppose it was about February of this year, and then I was sort of polishing it, and you know, just bringing it together. Um, uh, so th- so that's that, and I. I I'm, whether I'm happy with it, um, I mean, you can always make a book better. Um, but I kind of felt that I'd given, I'd given my best. You know, the old thing that I said before about not leaving anything in the in the dressing room. I, I genuinely, I was personally involved. It was it was not just about a professional job. It was it was there's quite a lot in the book about my family and my sort of background and everything. And things in my life that have paralleled all the football experiences, 
so uh, so there's all of that and and um you know i i'm delighted that people are beginning to read it and and saying nice things about it um so that's fantastic um and and I, i'm really rather humbled by that um people have i do really genuinely seem to be taking it to their hearts and saying nice thing, nice things about it um and it's very nice you know i'm i'm, I'm on twitter and people are getting in touch and saying, oh, I've got your book, you know, I can't wait to read it and all of that. And others are saying, oh, I've started to read it, it's brilliant, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's very exciting. And, and um, um, you know, because of the, these are people like me, you know, they're supporters of the club and they, they know what they feel about it. And, and, and they have their own memories that they can relate to mine in a way. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased about all that. Um, I'm absolutely knackered, but <laughs> so where, where you can where, where you can get it? Um, well, the, the old phrase, "all good bookshops," uh, you can get it online, um, obviously from from Amazon. You can also get it from the Hearst Books website, Hearst with a U uh, Books website, and they've got an offer on at the moment. You can get uh, if you order from them, you can get something off the the purchase price. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, it won't be difficult to find, I hope. And not no. just when you well, there's we'll, independent we'll, bookshops in Hexham and Corbridge and Whitney Bay, places like that where you can get it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put a link in the description of the podcast. And I urge everyone, because uh, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of reading it. It's absolutely fantastic so far. So yeah, the link will be in the description and we'll endeavour to... Uh, add it on to our Newcastle Fans TV Amazon store as well. Um, yeah, absolutely superb, Michael. I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, oh, my pleasure. That's my pleasure. Johnny, you've got to catch me up on reading it. I really do. Show the book to the, for, the, for the purpose of the viewers on YouTube when they get to see this. There you go. Newcastle United Stole My Heart by Michael Chapman, of course, our guest yeah. this evening. Um, Sam... Where can people listen to the podcast when it comes out? The podcast is available, like uh, Michael's book is available in all good bookstores. Our podcast is available <laughs> on all good podcast apps with a new episode every Tuesday. Please subscribe and rate five stars. Michael, it's been absolutely fantastic to speak to you about all things Newcastle United and all your terrific memories of our wonderful football club. I hope you've enjoyed yourself this evening. Yes, I did. Oh, it's always a pleasure talking about your football club, isn't it? Um, so, uh, so it's great. It's great to be on, and uh, I wish you all the best for the rest of the season. We wish you all the very best with this fantastic book. Again, the link will be in the description for Michael's book as well. From myself, Jonathan Green, with Sam Milner, and Michael Chaplin. We'll see you all very, very soon. Cheers.